Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora. It's the podcast where we talk about the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. My name is Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. Cameron. Hi. This is part two of our series on Train Whistle of the Wide World, the best handheld Zelda game. Yes. Accurate. Now, Cameron, there were a few things that we glossed over in the previous episode. Yeah, I think that last episode, um, we may have been a bit... And by we, that may have come down to me. I'll take that. Um, May have been a bit focused on trying to cram this down into a two-episode look at Spirit Tracks. But I've been playing it for the past week, and I'm just now caught up to where uh, part one left off. And I think probably the game is dense enough that we should take it a little bit slower. Cam, this is part of your nefarious plan to cram two more Spirit Tracks songs. Well, yeah, but I mean, this could also easily turn into a four-part thing. How? (laughs) You'd be really surprised how long we could talk about nothing. I mean, we've we've taken up 90 seconds just talking about this. Okay. Would we actually be surprised? We're surprised by what? By how long we can talk about nothing. I would hope not, but Crystal sounds surprised. How long is Skyward Sword going to (laughs) be? That's a dangerous question that I don't know if you actually want the answer to I it. I would like to have the actual answer to it. Um, we can't give a concrete answer to that, but uh, Monica, you are now up to the wing ceremony. I haven't actually started the wing ceremony. And on Monica's playthrough in preparation to begin recording, um, how many pages of notes do you have? Five and a half. Now, this is I, a smaller than regular size page, but five and a half pages of notes. Now, can I get a comparison of how many notes there would be in the, for another game? Uh, well, we can do Spirit Tracks. Well, Spirit Tracks <laughs> isn't finished yet. Do I you... know, but for the first recording of it. Okay. Or do you want me to go to, like, Twilight Princess? Yeah, how many do we have for Twilight Princess? Oh, okay, hold on, let me... It's okay, take back. your time, I'll just play a little jingle at this part. 24 pages when you meet Renato for the first time. That's like... Uh, yeah. uh, huh. <laughs> we may not get off of Skyloft in the first episode. Okay. That's how long... No, Sky- I think we can cover Skyloft in one episode. There's so much to talk about, though. Yes. There's certain, there's certain things you're going to take notes on, or you've already taken notes on, that are going to lead us on tangents that go on for so long. They could be whole episodes by themselves. Possibly. Well, they're not really tangents. They are related to the core subject of this podcast, which is the lore and fiction of the Legend of Zelda series. But there's some shit to talk about. I think a better way to talk uh, to compare is my notes on the first episode of Spirit Tracks was five and a half pages. So up to the wing ceremony, you have roughly the same amount of notes. Yes. Boy, howdy. We might not, you know. We'll have to hurry it along a little bit, but Crystal... If you need to tap out at any point and have us do episodes without you while you take a break from this uh, slog, let us know. Okay. I should buy a Wii remote so I can play Skyward Sword. Yes, you should. Oh, that would be very fun. That'll make it much easier to do this whole thing. Cameron, what are some things you want to talk about that we missed in Spirit Tracks? Oh, you know, it's mostly incidental little stuff. Things like if you go back to Hyrule Castle Town... um, there's actually an alternative method. This game doesn't have heart pieces, which is interesting to me. At least insofar as I found it, every health-enhancing item that you find is simply a full heart container. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to Hyrule Castle Town, 
there is a combat building that you can go into that is run by a woman who looks exactly like Jolene from the Phantom Hourglass. So I'm just going to say that for obvious reasons, it's Jolene's granddaughter. And if you go in after completing, I think, the first temple, she'll let you go through the green door on the far right. And the purpose of this building is for you to basically be able to take combat trials. And if you get through all of the different rooms, then you get a heart container. And the first gauntlet that you go through is a bunch of rooms that are filled with normal enemies. Uh, one room that has two versions of the mini-boss from the first temple. And then the final room has you fight Stagnox again. It's a monster rush. Yeah, big monster rush. But it's also very cool. I like that. And it's interesting because, like, what is this? What is this place? Outside of the fact that it's a monster rush. Link's fighting his spirit. Fighting within his spirit. I don't know. But I've always felt that it's better when games give you options to refight bosses, so I'm glad that they had it in Spirit Tracks. Um, another thing that we didn't really talk about, I don't think, is how you get the cannon, which you get, I think, after the first dungeon. It might be before. The after. First. It's after? Okay. So after you complete the first dungeon, you get a letter from Alfonso, or else Zelda suggests that you should go back and check on Alfonso. And when you're leaving, that's what it is, right. As you're leaving the spirit temple, after going into it, or the spirit tower, after going up to the second segment, your train is attacked by a couple of very burly pigs, and you don't have any weapons to fend them off. So they basically just wreck your train and take you down to one heart. And Zelda says, if we don't get some repairs like right now, the train's going to explode. So we better go check in with Alfonso and see how he's doing, which is how the game forces you along this little bit of uh, railroading. But I'm Tish. Uh-huh. And uh, then you go and you talk to Alfonso. And Alfonso's like, wow, that's very bad. But I tell you what, take me back to a Boda village and we'll see what we can do for you. So you take Alfonso back to Aboda Village and he tells you how cool the spirit train is and how nice it is that you've got such a nice train, but also it's not going to be able to handle all of the particular challenges presented by your quest. So leave it with him for a little while and he'll do something for you. Until then, why don't you go talk to Nico? And the conversation that you have with Nico here when you go and visit him is very interesting because he's real nostalgic about when he was a much younger man and how he used to see all sorts of different places and he wished he had kept mementos of it. So he gives you the perfect old person gift, which is a stamp book. Cool gift. <laughs> Big cool gift. Stamping as in like put it on ink and then blot it on, not like the mailing kind of stamp. Is that more of a thing in, for Japanese travel? Yeah, well at the JR stations, oh, there yeah. were actually... Stamp Stamps. stations. Yes. Yeah, that is a thing. That's right. I forgot about that. So it's a very Japanese feeling. And <laughs> in, in a sense, it is actually a cool gift, but it comes from Nico, and we don't have that as people living in North America, so it feels a little bit hokey, but it's actually very cool. Well, there are also convenient stamp stations in every place in this game. You say convenient, but I can't get to some of them yet. Inconvenient. Yeah, some of them are inconvenient. Nico also uses this time to reminisce after seeing Link in the the recruit uniform. Yeah, he says that when you're wearing the recruit uniform, you look exactly like a friend that he had when he was a much younger man. Which implies not only that Link looks like the Link from Wind Waker, but also that they're unrelated. Otherwise, you'd think that Nico would bring it up. Yeah. Maybe Nico just doesn't know. Oh, 
Is this some secret thing that went on that Nico wasn't privy to? Right. You know, Link did have a relationship with Tetra, but it could never be made public. And now <laughs> he's like in a relationship or growing relationship with his... Somebody map out that family tree. She would be his second cousin. Oh, okay. No, I think... I Since Nico only realizes that Spirit Tracks Link kind of reminds him of Wind Waker slash Phantom Hourglass Link, I'd say they actually don't look that alike until the uniform's on. Oh, I see. So you're saying that it's not so much that they look alike, it's that Nico's conflating them in his mind. Yeah. Even though they have the exact same visual design. Yes. Yeah, okay, why not? It's like how Dale Gribble doesn't know that John Redcorn is Joseph's father. Even though Joseph looks exactly like John? Yes. What is this? This is King of the Hill. Oh, okay. Nico is like Dale Gribble. I can I think that no one has ever said that particular sentence before in the entirety of human history. <laughs> Pearl is a lot like Walter Sobchak. How do you figure? Uh they're both p- veterans obsessed with the glory of a long forgotten war and they're obsessed with their exes who's walter sobchek from the big lebowski i've never seen the big lebowski neither have i is this you recoiling in horror crystal no okay the the editing will automatically cut that out but there was a, quite a bit of silence there for our listeners um it's good so yeah you go back and you talk to alfonso and he's like i put a cannon on your train because that's what trains need cannons He's not wrong in this sense. He's not wrong, because one of the things that makes the spirit tracks travel between different uh, parts of the map active is that there's things popping up and messing with you constantly. So the transitions between areas, in a sense, are randomly generated minigames dependent on the terrain, where you have to fight off enemies or blow your horn at specific things to make them run away or explode obstacles with your cannon... Oh, this unlocks the mini game, the rabbit mini game, because you can shoot the the rocks. rocks that they're hiding behind. Yes, some of those rabbits are hard to catch. They, yes, they move very fast, and you have to like predict when they're going to stop. It's not easy. I started making notes on my map to show where the really quick rabbits are, but every time I miss one, I always come back around and get them again because I can't have it. Should we be concerned by the militarization of the Royal Engineers? I don't know if you can necessarily call it a militarization because Link isn't part of an organized group. But he does have a cannon on his train now. Are you suggesting that it would be better for him to not have a cannon? I'm just saying, you know, that cannon's all well and good now that that there's monsters everywhere. But at the end of this journey, are they going to start removing the cannons? I think probably they would. Okay. I think so. Now, I mean, if there are no longer evil trains... And Cam, you pointed out the trains are actually demon spirits possessed ordinary trains. Yes. Um, the de- the evil trains that will destroy your train by crashing into it are introduced in a scene where regular trains are just driving around and then they are attacked by what is very similar to the malice from Breath of the Wild. And then they become these big smiling bomb trains that you should really get away from. I hated them. They're very uh, high pressure because anytime it looks like their path might intercept with yours or they might come within a certain distance of you, their theme song starts to play and that theme song is uh, stress-inducing for lots of folks. 
and you're on a track. You're on rails, literally. <laughs> so, so it's hard to get away. Yeah, especially if it turns out that you misjudged the timing on a turn and you have to throw into hard reverse and keep shooting the demon trains with your cannon to make them break down temporarily so that you can outrun them while going in reverse. It's very hair-raising. Speaking of hair-raising, do you two remember the the rabbit minigame? Not really. Oh, uh, which minigame do you mean? Just the the place you take the rabbits to and the person there. No. I know there's a rabbit village where everyone dresses as rabbits. Before we transition into that part, I just want to point out that in multiple villages, people talk about how other engineers throughout the kingdom aren't brave enough to bring their trains out and it seems like Link's the only one who's still doing work for the kingdom and that's actually the perspective that I brought into the first episode but that's not true the other engineers did try and then their trains turned into monsters I guess that's why Link has a spirit train yeah it's important and that's why they're all going to demand that their trains be armed going forward but the train the cannons demonstrably do not work on these demons also all the demons are gone at the end of this story and by the end link has likely rescued all the rabbits so there aren't even any boulders to smash to save the rabbits or catch them yeah i could see that um okay tell us about rabbit land rescue and the particular how do you you frolic with the rabbits is that actually a thing you do you can wander around and yes frolic with the rabbits Uh uh-huh and there is a person there dressed up as a rabbit. The patron of Rabbit Land Rescue is wearing a very large bunny costume. And there is a side quest involving him and his wife that you won't accomplish for hours and hours, but... Probably in after the third or fourth temple, even. We could talk about that now or later. How many uh, rabbits do you have to rescue for this to happen? I think you actually have to advance into the plot. It doesn't matter how many rabbits you save. It's that at some point, um, the wife wonders where her husband is and asks you to take her to him because she's just totally um, worried about his condition. She's a very devoted wife. Uh, Oh, okay. I'm looking up this guy's name on zelda.gamepedia.com. His name is Bunny-O. And his wife is just Bunny-O's wife. She doesn't have a name. No. No significance outside of her wifeness. But Bunny's kind of... Bunny-O is kind of a shitty husband. You feel bad for him initially. Yo, you totally do. Because it's like he just wants to be out here and like play with the bunnies. And who doesn't want to play with the bunnies? I love playing with bunnies. It's the one of the best experiences you can fucking have. But it's like... It's also funny when you talk to him because he's like, You can't frolic with rabbits that you didn't bring here yourself that would be fucked up and when he's like and don't worry about leaving them behind while you're out bringing back more rabbits i'll frolic with the bunnies that you've already brought in so they don't get lonely and it's like you hypocrite piece of garbage how dare you frolic with my rabbits um bunny's wife in hyrule castle town asks you to take her over to her husband and Link and, I suppose, Ghost Zelda are like, okay, yeah, we know where he is. Yep. And the kids ship her over, and she is shocked and appalled that he's frolicking with these wild and dirty rabbits. Especially because he could be, because he's abandoned his home life for this. Yes. And then... And then she demands to be taken home, 
But when you go over to talk to her again, she has a change of heart and realizes that she loves him for his caring, nurturing side. And so she'll stay there with him and the rabbits. She'll help take care of the bunnies. And and Bunnyo initially was like, why did you kids take her here? And then, you know, my life is ruined. But then eventually when his wife decides to reconcile with him, he's like, no, it's not the same. He's <laughs> it's up- not the same here. He's upset that his wife is there and that it's no longer just him and the rabbits. That's the saga of Bunyo. And this is interesting because if we talk about this first, it introduces us to the mechanic by which completing these side quests earns you uh, force gems from the gratitude of the people that you're helping. And those force gems open up more of the spirit tracks that can lead to different parts of the realms or make new connections. It's interesting that rabbits are never portrayed as being indigenous to Hyrule. Yeah, actually. Yeah. They're, so, they're, the only time they're in Hyrule at all is in A Link to the Past when the man is playing the flute. But even then, that's in kind of a, a liminal space. Do you think? I think so. So how do you read their presence in this new kingdom? Well, they're present in Kolint Islands. They're present in uh, Labrina. And they're present in New Hyrule. But Link also is spiritually a rabbit. Yes. At least one of them, yeah. So, I don't know what this means. I'd say everywhere there's bunnies, it's not Hyrule. (laughs) Well, that's not really true, though, because even in Ocarina of Time, they talk about how rabbits used to live in Hyrule, but they're extinct. Okay. Whoa. The world has improved. What's this line? You you don't know this one? I know. I don't know the rabbit extinction line in Ocarina. Okay, I'm just going to link you to this thing. Control F for excessive hunting. Aww. Oh, this is sad. <laughs> is Bunio contributing to the loss of wild rabbits? I think he is. Um, he frames it as a rescue venture, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, he definitely doesn't want to leave behind any wild rabbits, now that I think of it. He specifically talks about how he thinks that bunnies are less happy because they're lonely and don't have anyone to frolic with. But they're wild. They're, they're wild, wild animals. They're wild rabbits. I'm conflicted about him. Actually, no, I'm not. I've, I'm coming down on the side of he's not a great person. <laughs> he's very selfish to the detriment of nature, at least. You, you, and his wife. You, you didn't remember this line from Ocarina of Time, Crystal? No, but yes, apparently rabbits were hunted to extinction within the borders of Hyrule. Yeah. Isn't that something? That's sad. Well, I mean... They came back. They, and then the the land was flooded, and then they went to a new place where there were bunnies. So wait, when did they come back? Link to the past, possibly. But that's in the accursed timeline. Oh. Right. Also, those may not be rabbits. Those could be blue peas. Oh my! What? Oh, okay. What if blue peas were hunted to extinction? They're way too strong. Okay, that's good. You fuck with a blue pea, they'll put you in the ground. Then what's Ravio's relationship with all this? Maybe they weren't hunted to extinction in Low Rule. Maybe Low Rule is New High Rule. Uh, uh, are you suggesting that it exists in a world parallel to the kingdom? Yes. What makes you say that? I think that during when the Ocean King spat Tetra and, and Link back out into the Great Sea, he spat them out on the wrong side. <laughs> Into the wrong timeline. 
onto the onto the low side instead of the high side. <laughs> so then they found this new land, which is actually just low rule, and that's why it had its own demon king and its own ancient civilization that worshipped the Triforce. Now, do you actually think this, or is that just something that you started this off with to couch it in a way that would set my head on fire? The second one. <laughs> oh, okay. The relief is tangible. Oh, deeply. Oh, uh, though there is a bit of a Nuki dialogue that we didn't cover in the last episode that might uh, help to clarify what the Anuki are doing oh, in, right. in the New Kingdom. Uh, I'm just going to read from the transcript that I made of this particular line. It comes when Link talks to one of the Anuki villagers. Hey, you, I know what you want to hear. You want to hear our story, don't you? Way back when, us Anukis lived on an island encased in ice. But one day, someone told us we couldn't just crash there forever. So we packed up our junk and set out in search of a new land to call home. Lots of stuff happened after that, but we ended up here. Village, sweet village. So how's that for drama? And it's not much for drama, but it does imply that actually maybe the Ocean King did tell them to leave. Yeah, that uh, seems to me to support the idea that the Isle of Frost in the world of the Ocean King is actually Yuk lands that the Anuki were just uh, refugeeing in for a few centuries. And then they had to leave. Yes. Because they were really being jerks about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stupid Anuki. And Ferris, the little train guy, he has an ancient map. And by ancient, I mean it's like 100 years old. That actually traces the ley lines of power that run through the spirit tracks. So that he can show you which parts of the tracks are protected from the blizzard that keeps you from reaching the ice tower. Oh, that's something we forgot to get into depth on is that in between each of the sanctuaries you actually have to do something extra to make it to the temples as is usually a thing um and the first the forest sanctuary to the forest temple you have to navigate the lost woods yes and that includes one of my favorite bits of incidental dialogue in this game when people tell you how to get through the lost woods he's like listen all you have to do is listen to the trees and follow their instructions, and you'll get through fine. But don't listen to the fourth tree. It doesn't know what it's talking about. And I read that line, and I didn't really know how to process it. Why are the Lost Woods even here? I think maybe... I, mm, I, mm. Lost Woods can travel. It's a magical state. Is Is this kingdom just on the other side of the Lost Woods? Is this one of the places that ocarina of time link could have theoretically reached in his travels maybe okay so that's how Helia called the people to to hyrule as they came from new hyrule through the lost woods to old hyrule that makes a certain amount of sense the lost woods must be truly enormous continent spanning basically holodrum also has lost woods it may be that the Lost Woods exist in many different kingdoms and worlds, and they're all sort of semi-interconnected. The Lost Woods being the sort of key, keystone that connects and supports whole different planes of reality? Yes. Huh. Like a hallway between different rooms. It's the adjoining chamber. Huh. That would make the Deku Tree a very important spirit indeed, and privy to a lot more information than it usually lets on. 
You know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I like the idea of the Lost Woods being a connector between both kingdoms and worlds. It seems to be true enough for Termina and Holodrum, and those don't occupy the same cosmic space as Hyrule does at all. I'm glad we rediscussed this point. Yeah, me too. Are we caught up now? I think that covers most of the basic things that we might have glossed over a little bit in the last episode. Jumping ahead then, with the inclusion of the canon, you can buy a bomb bag from Beetle's Beetle Shop. I should say to anyone that's going to play through Spirit Tracks as a result of listening to these episodes, and you should, because Spirit Tracks is the best handheld Zelda, that to get Beetle to come down to you, you have to blow your train whistle. He sends you a letter that tells you that, but you will get the letter after you see him for the first time, and you might chase his balloon around fruitlessly for a while. Just blow your train whistle, and he'll come down. And stop, I take it. Yes. And this is after you've completed two temples, so you need to tromp on over to the Tower of Spirits for the third time. One of the things about the Tower of Spirits is that you do not have to revisit past segments of it if you don't want to. That's not a thing. But if I remember, the first segment of the Tower of Spirits has a bombable wall in it that you would not be able to blow up until you have access to the third level. What's in it? I don't know yet. I'll find out after we do this recording, but I have to imagine it's some kind of treasure. Probably a rare treasure. Yeah. Um, new to the third section of the tower, it is dark, pitch black, and there are torches around, and Link can throw his boomerang to uh, from one lit torch to an unlit one to light them up. Mm -hmm. There are also torch phantoms who are carrying torches, and um, they're floor masters. Oh, great. Um, and it's great when Zelda can possess a torch phantom and you have your light source that moves around with you. Oh, so she can't... You can choose which phantom Zelda possesses. And are there non-torch phantoms in that section? Could you theoretically have her possess a non-torch phantom and be less capable as you move through the rest of the segment? You can have her jump around between different phantoms. Oh, shit. No, I mean, like, after you have her in a phantom, you can kill another or uh, incap incapacitate another phantom, and then she'll jump, and the first one will just go away. Also, you could theoretically clear out an entire floor of phantoms. Yes. Oh, that would have made the second section much easier if I had tried that. More fool me. So is there anything else of note about this, or are we just going to make our way up to getting the rail map for the ocean realm? You get the rail map. Okay, you get that rail map. So once you get the rail map, usually there's like some kind of new thing that's opened up to you before you head out to the new realm. Is there anything like that here? Um, the ocean realm bridge is out. Oh, the bridge is out. And so Link and Zelda ride on over and see the bridge is broken, and they have to stop for a minute. And they stop at a trading post, uh, the trading post of Linebeck III. Who is the grandson of Linebeck. Interesting that both Linebeck and Jolene are in this game. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Boah. I guess maybe, maybe Jolene eventually found Linebeck. Or maybe they dated and married separate people. That's also possible. The, the relationship didn't seem too healthy. No, nothing was going on there that needed to be continued. But then who would, would you want to date and or marry and or have kids with Lineback? No, no, no. Oh, God. I said I would go on a date with Lineback, and I meant one. 
That is not a long-term thing that you can do. How do you interpret both Jolene and Linebacker being here now, Crystal? I think Jolene appealed to Oceus, the Ocean King, and Oceus was like, yeah, fuck Linebacker. I'm going to let you out so you can go kill him. And then she did. <laughs> you think that she murdered Linebacker after he had uh, produced an heir? Yes. She didn't kill Linebeck's children because children are mostly innocent, but she did murder Linebeck. Right. Linebeck II didn't do anything to her. <laughs> but Linebeck II, well, we don't know about him, but Linebeck Third is kind of like his grandfather. He's exactly like Linebeck. He, he, does he do the thief thing? Thief thing? Is he a thief? Um, He runs up debts. Oh. well, so And he, then he makes you pay for them. That's kind of like thievery. He's fiscally irresponsible. Yes. That's not quite the same thing. So you think that Jolene came to this new land, got her vengeance, realized that she could no longer be a pirate because there aren't any oceans to sail on, and she wasn't going to get her degree in train engineering, and then probably just settled down in Hyrule Castle Town. That's correct. And ran a giant, like, spirit monster rush thing. She, she got so much practice fighting Link and killing monsters that she like starts gathering up monsters and throws them into these pits for other poor fools. Oh, maybe she made Linebeck run through the gauntlet. Yeah, that's how she killed him. <laughs> she's like, listen, there's hella treasure at the end of this if you can make it. And she's not even lying. She's like, if you can make it, you get all this treasure. And he's like, I don't, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And she's like, double treasure. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And then he dies. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. <laughs> this is terrible. This is very dark. This and is then very- Jolene adopted Linebeck the second. Oh, this is some lone wolf and cub shit going on here. Mm-hmm. How uh, is that? What happens in Lone Wolf and Cub? Oh, is that a spoiler? You're not going to read Lone Wolf and Cub. Okay. Also, that series is f- 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 fucking. Is it forty years old now? Older? I read one book. It was pretty decent. Yes. That book that that series had some shit in it though. It was definitely a very masculine focused uh, period manga series made in the 70s Mm. Mm. so yeah it's lone wolf and cub shit okay cool i guess so linebeck the third is the biological grandson of linebeck but effectively the first jolene is his maternal grandmother (laughs) that's correct okay just wanted to be really clear on it or paternal? It had. It would have to be a paternal grandmother. Yeah, no, it couldn't be a maternal grandmother because that that would mean that Jolene's daughter married Linebeck the second. Oh, yeah, that probably wouldn't. In work. In this episode, we are. Well, I mean, that would just mean that the current woman who looks like Jolene and Linebeck the third are siblings. In this episode of the Book of Medora, we're drawing very complicated family trees. Well, I mean, like, murder tends to make things really complicated. Yes. I'm just imagining a scene where Jolene stands over the body of Linebeck and little baby Linebeck II stabs her with a knife and she picks him up and holds him and says, son of my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I'd ask why neither Linebeck III or the Jolene of this game bring it up, but I guess, like... Who would want to bring up that association? No, it's like that's a dark. Siblings to linebeck. That's a dark family history that you don't want to you don't want to get into. It's a shame my brother fell off of listening to this podcast because the last five minutes would have just tickled his fancy real hard. So at the trading post, I don't know if we care about that anymore. What? Go on, go on. Um, 
you hear the classic Linebeck song. Hell yeah. And um, there is a bunch of loot scattered around, which includes like two Tingle statues, what seems like the spyglass, like Link's gift from Errol. Yeah. Yeah. Just lying around. It's actually worth pointing out that there's sort of a repeating Tingle motif in the interior decorations of many people's houses. Like, the Anuki have snowmen, like really sad-looking snowmen uh, piles, basically, in their houses in some places. And at least one of them is green. And there's one house in the forest realm that looks like it has sort of a really low-poly Tingle doll in it. So it's almost like Tingle became fairly culturally important after Wind Waker. Hmm. Huh. Maybe a whole force gem thing. Maybe. Strange. Um, Linebeck tells you that he knows um, somebody who can fix the bridge. Incidentally, I met the bridge master before I left the winter realm. Oh, good. Realm. Yes, that is exactly the person that you now have to ferry over to this area. And the bridge master will fix it, but he demands payment... And Linebeck already owes him for a previous repair on the house and area. Because Do you think that Tingle is related to Linebeck? No, I don't. No? No. <laughs> I think that Linebeck may have stolen some of his shit at some point, but I don't okay. think that they're related. Actually, he may have stolen those Tingle statues in Wind Waker that well, you can get with the Tingle tuner. I think one of them's gold. Is that canon? I don't know. Crystal, do you think they're related? Well, Tingle does appear on the Wanted poster behind the counter of the Milk Bar in Phantom Hourglass. So mm -hmm. he was in the world of the Ocean King for some time. Huh. Yeah, that seems canonical. And the end of this quest implies some interesting things about Linebeck's lineage. What do you mean? Well, at the end of this quest, Linebeck III uh, hands you a letter from his grandfather, which describes the location of his final treasure which is, of course, a regal ring. Yes. What a does princely that ring handed down among royal generations is the in-game description. So this implies that Linebeck is of royal ancestry. I interpreted that as it being a gift from, like, Tetra. Or possibly just something he stole. Or, or that. Well, I mean, where do we go with this if we assume that Linebeck does have some kind of royal ancestry? So if he has royal ancestry... And he's related to Tingle. Uh, hmm. Have we really established that he's related to... Wait, hold on. Okay, ignore the fact that we haven't established that he's related to Tingle. Just that he and Tingle exist in the same space. Um, are you starting to suggest that Tingle may be related to royalty? That is to say that Tingle is a descendant of the Hyrulean royal family? Well, we know that Tingle is the son of the Pictobox man in the swamp. That's true. And Termina. And Termina. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think our knowledge of Tingle ends there. No, we, 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 we came to some conclusions about him in the Wind Waker episode and his relationship with Dave Jr., why oh, they happen to look exactly the same. Yeah. Right. There's also his brothers and Dave Jr. Right, which means that Dave uh, also may have been related to Tingle. Was that? No, Tingle had... Dave Jr.'s... Dad had sailed out. Yeah, Dave Jr.'s dad, Dave. <laughs> Dave Sr. Dave Sr. Had sailed out for the Phantom Ship and then never came back. That's true. Oh, maybe so maybe that was the tingle. 
are you saying that Dave later became Tingle in a different world? Well, obviously, Dave Jr. looks a lot like Tingle, so presumably Dave Sr. would also look somewhat similar to Tingle. That's what I'm saying. And if he went out for the Phantom Ship, then he would have got sucked into the world of the Ocean King. Theoretically, which means that the wanted poster in Phantom Hourglass isn't of Tingle, it's of Dave. Where is this going? Or one of perhaps one of Dave's descendants, so a distant cousin of, of the Tingle of Wind Waker. Daniel. So then Dave's line begets Linebeck, which is why Linebeck III has a statue of his of his ancestor in his shop. But not actually his ancestor, just a guy that looks so much like his ancestor that history has conflated them somewhat. Well, is the, is the sh- statue ever named as Tingle in this game? No. No, absolutely not. Yeah, so it's a statue of Dave. And we assume that it's a statue of Tingle. Yeah, it's actually a statue of Dave. I I am speechless. This is some deep fucking lore, actually. <laughs> this is some deep fucking shit posting. It's all there. It's all in the text. I think this might be the silliest that we've ever gone, and that's really saying something. Are you sure? That's a hard assertion to make. I no, I'm not sure. I, I seem to recall we linked Animal Crossing and Kirby's... L- listen, the Dark Interloper episode is its own thing, and also um, the Dreamlanders are still a, an almost perfect match. Okay. Perhaps Dave was of some royal ancestry. <laughs> Maybe Dave was. Though it's like, I, I, think I, I think I like Monica's reading best where Linebeck's friendship with Tetra is rewarded with this big piece of treasure. I absolutely like the alternative, though, that Linebeck stole some shit. From A lot of shit. Yeah. It's just like, he just goes around taking people's things when they're not looking, because he's he's just a thief asshole motherfucker. But, um, yes, Linebeck III gives you the instructions written from Linebeck I, um, which are addressed to Linebeck II, saying, in case of emergency, I have this, you know, last treasure for you to use. And they never had to use it. And they never had to use it. Somehow. So I guess Linebeck II must have been very unlike father and son. That makes sense. He's the he's the cool-headed one, and also he didn't want to piss off Mama Jolene. <laughs> so Link goes through a whole dungeon thingy, mini dungeon, and gets the regal ring and takes it back to Linebeck III, and apparently it's like worth like 5,000 rupees or something. And the bridge master shows up and goes like, Hey, Yoink. my fee. <laughs> It's a big yoink, and he takes the ring, and that'll be his fee. And that completes the sequence that you need to fix the bridge to the ocean realm. Yes. I think it's worth saying here that when you're transporting people, they have all sorts of very particular requests, like go fast here, go slow here, um, honk your horn, or toot your horn here. Well, there are certain ones are like obey the signs because there are signs all on the spirit tracks and on your initial like the first time you play through early on you'll only note notice them insofar as you can shoot them and it'll blow up the signs and they do this really fun wobbling back and forth like a door stopper animation but there is like a little review or mood icon of your passengers Uh uh-huh and they can be very mad they also get mad if you miss the uh, end station or if you break too hard. Right. So. You got to get good at it. Yeah. Which is fun. It makes the sequences where you carry them around extremely interactive. Um, it, is the bridge is the bridge repairman 
like that when you take him along? Because I'm going to do that in a couple hours. I think so. I think all of the passengers are like that. Oh, those pricks. Alfonso was chill. I really like Link's animations when you're driving the train because you there's a lot of little incidental animations about Link that are good because whenever you're making notes on the map, Link is also making notes on the map in his model. And when you erase notes, he also does a little erasing gesture. And when you're driving around on the train, if you take corners at speed, the train will tilt a little bit and Link will lean into the turn with his body to correct for that tilt. And it's a very fun, tiny detail that I was surprised to see the first time that I did it. Now, the question is, what is the treasure that Dave Sr. would have searched for on the ghost ship? I posit that it was, in fact, the Triforce of Courage. And the reason he looked like Tingle is because he, too, was dressed in the field of greens of the Hero of Time. Oh, heavens. Uh Uh-huh. And he knew the Triforce was there because he is a descendant of Princess Zelda. This is our astonished face. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what to do with this. It's just like a little, little C-plot that goes throughout these uh, Toon Link games. Yeah, C-plot would definitely be a way to describe this. In fact, I might call this the O-plot for outside. (laughs) Outside where you can't fucking see it. (laughs) It could be the I-plot for invisible. (laughs) I prefer C-plot for canonical. (laughs) oh okay yeah i'm gonna call it the ec plot for extra canonical (laughs) dc double canonical maybe the ez plot for ez to deduct if you pay attention to this (laughs) okay yeah we'll call it the easy plot dave of the adult timeline the easy plot hero i just like the idea of one of the zeldas on the pirate ship you know, maybe popping out two kids and then once a boy. So she's like, nope, yep. Just over the side. <laughs> no. Wow. Oh, gosh. Okay, um, on to the ocean sanctuary. I thought that Crystal, I, Crystal, I thought you were going to say that um, Dave was an incarnation of the hero who failed. Yeah, that might have been Dave Senior Senior. Oh, <laughs> Dave Senior Senior, son of Zelda. <laughs> who oh oh my god okay like right, that's why Fenning he was kicked out of the royal family from dune he was kicked out of the royal family for wearing green all the time for failing big fail epic fail yeah it was indeed an epic fail so the ocean I cannot believe you sanctuary said that shit on our podcast what the fuck the ocean sanctuary what's the ocean sanctuary the ocean sanctuary is where carbon is do you have to do anything besides repairing the bridge to get to that sanctuary no i don't think so okay you need to do something special nonsense to get to the ocean temple oh okay got it okay yeah sorry i'm thinking i'm conflating the sanctuary with the temple and you have to do something special to actually get carbon back to the sanctuary oh piss i forgot about this part so Um, the sanctuary he's not fucking there he's not there there are some crap monsters which i think are really novel they are giant crabs with giant rock claws, and so you can't hit them from the front. And initially, you have to use your boomerang to go around behind. Hit them from behind. Yeah, and to hit them. But later, when you get the whip, you can actually whip off the claws and then smack them. Uh I just like the monsters in this game. They're great. Yeah, they, they are definitely designed. They exist in that particular space 
occupied almost solely by spirit tracks and skyward sword at least in terms of intensity where monsters were designed mechanically and visually around the input that you were using to play the game it makes for a lot of fun unusual designs in the context of the rest of the series so carbon is in papuchia village i don't get the pun for that village somebody's going to have to point that out to me Capuchia? Papuchia, I think. P-A-P-U-C-H-I-A. Papuchia. I don't know why it's called Papuchia. I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't either. If that's a pun in English, somebody write in and tell us what that's about. Or if you get the Japanese one. The Japanese is also Papuchia Village. Yeah, if anyone knows what that is in Japanese, also write in. Because if that works in both languages, I really want to know. Um, It's a seaside village. There are a lot of birds, I think seagulls, flying about. And apparently it's Carbon's um, hobby to just fly around with the birds. He can just fly? No, he's lifted around by the birds. Oh, okay. And he's in a trance-like state of happiness and bliss and cannot hear you. So he's like the house from Up, but with birds. Oh, he's like James and the Giant Peach. Sure. I mean, it doesn't take that many birds to elevate. Well, I mean, he's not nearly as big as the peach. (laughs) Yes. Um, You have to learn the song of birds, which is an actual song in this game, to draw the birds down. And Carbon is a little bit pissed off at you for disturbing his bird. His good bird time. Um, And then you have to ferry him over to the ocean sanctuary because I guess the song has to take place there. And there's actually a pirate mini blin uh, mini game that you have to go through. Oh, right. Mini blins are in this game. Those hateful little bastards. They don't still do the dana dana thing, do they? Not really. Yeah. But they they do run pirate ships now. And they do try to overtake the train, um, which is traveling on tracks very close to the or above the ocean. Right. It, for our listeners who have not played it. In the ocean realm, it's mostly the spirit tracks being suspended above water. It's actually very cool looking. But it does mean that you get attacked by pirates and you have to blow them up with your cannon. And then they board the train. And then you have to do a fighting sequence in which you have to prevent the mini blinds from reaching carbon but also you have to fight a giant ass larger monster thing is that is it one of the fishmen it's a pirate captain i don't know oh okay that's one of the fun things about fighting the fishmen in the spirit tower in particular is that they're the first enemy that link absolutely cannot beat by himself oh that's what my note is about oh i said fishmen but i forgot what it was oh yeah fishmen so you, the fisherman enemy in this game was very fun because it sort of introduces you to a mechanic that will come up a lot more as the game progresses, which is the idea of a fight that Link just can't win because the enemy is just as well equipped as he is and just as skillful but much more powerful. So what you have to do is set Zelda to fighting them. And then Zelda and the fishman will trade blows with each other while Link can attack the fishman from behind. And if you're really lucky... Link can actually distract the fish man, and while it's attacking Link, Zelda can wallop it from behind, and that does a ton of damage. Nice. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is it hard to control 
Zelda, like, you have to squiggle her path out on the screen, right? Yes, but if you, like, if her path points her at an enemy, she'll break away from the line of her path and beeline toward it if she's close enough. She does the Z-targeting. She homes in. She homes in, which is useful in situations like this one. But fighting one of the fishmen on the train probably isn't what happens because Link can't beat a fishman by himself. When I originally wrote down fishman here, I didn't make any comment. And so I was like, why did I write fishman from Wind Waker here? I think that your um, your notes might be a little bit too vague in some places. Well, next time there's a confusion, I'll read it out and you and Crystal can help me piece it together. Okay. That's assuming that Crystal talks at some point. I'm here. I don't know. It's me. I'm the host of this podcast. <laughs> the, host, the host of this podcast, who's had like five minutes of recorded dialogue on this episode. Yeah, well, y'all are, you know, saying everything. I'm getting tired. Okay. Please lead us for a bit. Okay, so you gotta you gotta go to the Ocean Temple, and in the Ocean Temple, you have a whip, which is very good because you can just like flick the whip and grab onto things and use the whip to swing around and stuff. And the icon for the whip is just like a, a snake. It's just a rubber snake. It's a pink pink snake? Wait, hold on. Are you telling me... I had forgotten this utterly. Is this the same snake as Lucas's rope snake in Mother 3? Uh, I'm not too familiar with Lucas's rope snake, but maybe. Hold on. Okay, so the Spirit Tracks whip is a red snake... Give me a second, Crystal, and I'll get the rope snake. For our listeners, what I'm now showing to Crystal is an image of Duster from Mother 3 using the rope snake to swing across a chasm. It does look very similar, yes. And I will now also share a picture of Lucas using the rope snake, which is his grab move in Super Smash Brothers. I think this is a cap from four. That looks very similar, yes. I think they might just be the same item. What does wow. this mean? Why is the rope snake in the ocean temple? Oh, man. Oh, jeez. I can't... Hold on. I can't do this right now. This isn't a thing that I can do right now. I don't know if I want to set this up. This isn't a thing. Do it. No. No, 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 no. What? I'm not going to try to link together the Mother and Legend of Zelda series based on the presence of one item. Not right now. Okay. Uh, Which game came out first? Mother 3 did. Mother 3 came out in 2006. Spirit Tracks was 2009. That's about a a very healthy amount of time for somebody to go, oh, that's really cool, and then let's have it in our game. Yeah. Three years is about the right length of time. So although this is the ocean temple, they don't have any water level puzzles. Which is good. I realized everyone hates those. It's just all about the whip and pulling things and hanging on to things and swinging from things. You can, when you summon the birds, they have like a little wooden bar that they hold with their feet. And then you whip onto the bar and then you're carried around by the birds. These birds are very strong. And uh, the boss of this one is the Five Tops, which is kind of like a big octorock that's also a plant. I think of it as being like, um, is it kind of, uh, oh, which one am I thinking? Am I thinking of Scylla or Charybdis? Scylla? I'm thinking of Scylla. Oh, uh, mm, I just thought of her as a giant 
whirlpool. Oh, then I'm thinking of Charybdis. I thought Charybdis was the whirlpool. I'm talking about the sister that is on the other side. With the dogs on her? With the reaching tentacle arms? No, they're dogs. What? They are dogs. What the fuck? Sorry, Greek mythology aside. No, hold on. That's interesting. I never knew that. See, whenever I saw Scylla depicted, it always looked a little bit more like this. Mm, they're dogs, though. Okay, so never mind. It looks like uh, some people might draw the Kraken as looking like uh, Phytops, which is like a big brain monster with long tentacles that are basically like the stems of roses, and they're all covered in spines and shit. It reminds me of that boss in Skyward Sword. Mm, mm. Although they aren't really alike aside from they have giant tentacles and they're big. Crystal, how do you fight Phytops? Well, Phytops has some... It's kind. Of, it has some Bulbasaur tentacles. You know how Bulbasaur can summon tentacles sometimes. Those vines. Yeah, the tentacle tentacle vines. And she tries to whip you with them, but then you whip the tentacles right back at her with the whip. And since they are plant tentacles, they also have thorns on them. So you gotta grab the thorn off the tentacle with the whip, rip it off, and then crack it back at her to pop the little gross pink pus bulbs on her face to uncover her eye, which is her weak point, and then you gotta hit it. So you're blowing up the pustules on her face with her own body because she messed with somebody who has a whip. Uh-huh. No, the whip's very good in this game. This the whip game is, is good great. items. The the whip actually can rip away shields from larger enemies, right? I believe so. Which is what allows you oh, you can fight the fishmen by yourself later by taking their shields away. That's strong. So you hit the boss in the eye, and then you win the ocean temple. Poor Phytops. The whip was so great, they brought it back. They brought it back in the Skyward Sword. They made the, this basically the same boss again. Did they? I don't remember Skyward well, Sword. Well, I mean, yeah. in terms of how you interact with it, Kalaktos is similar to Phytops, and ah. that you have to rip pieces off of it and then beat the shit out of it with them. Mm. Could you also, like, grab a sword and then, like, whip it back Yeah, at him? absolutely. You the- tore off its arms and picked up the sword that it dropped. Okay, because there's a mini-boss in this game that is like this. Oh, yeah? Which mini-boss is that? I think it's in this dungeon. There are swords. No, not the snapper. So maybe it's later. Maybe it's just a regular tough enemy. It's funny that the snapper also has... Oh, I think that's how you get the whip. That would make sense. <laughs> he has a whip. Yeah. And he catches Link with it, actually. And you, this is actually a very fun mini-boss fight. Um, he whips Link, and Link is caught in the whip and can only run so far. Mm-hmm. And then in the next couple of seconds, he will pull Link towards him. Uh-huh. And then you have to smack him at the right time, otherwise you get hit. Oh, I see. He's got a mask on. It's kind of cute. So what happens after you win the Ocean Temple, Crystal? Well, you gotta go back to the ta- the Tower of Spirits again, and you get one more block of the Tower of Spirits down. I you do not remember what this portion of the dungeon is like. Okay, um... I got some notes. There is one particular thing that I uh, noticed while playing this week that I forgot to mention until I just saw it in Monica's notes, and that is Zelda's Teacher. Now, um, we did touch on Zelda's Teacher very briefly in the last episode, but one interesting thing about it is that Link is really, really honest with everyone he's talking to about what's happening. But any of the adults outside of Alfonso doesn't believe him. And Alfonso believes him, but 
only because Link is so serious. Teacher doesn't at all, because why would anyone listen to a 10-year-old talking about the return of the Demon King? And Zelda being a ghost. And Zelda being a ghost. The teacher goes, I'm sure she's just out somewhere having adventures. Oh, but if I send the guards out after her, then the entire kingdom will descend into a panic. Which means I'm the only one who can save her. So I've got to go out and find her myself. And then he spends like the next several dungeons worth of time preparing to go out to find Zelda. You have a, no, you have a mini quest with him. Oh. Where he um, disguised up by putting a handkerchief around his head in the, the Japanese fashion of an old lady. Right. Um, asks you to go and take him to a random town. And then you have to do so. And when he gets there, he looks around and tries to find her. And then concludes that she's not at this location. He must try elsewhere. It's kind of sad. And you have to just keep... How long does that last? Pretty long. It's a hell of a side quest. Drive this old man around while he looks for somebody who's staring over his shoulder the entire time because he won't believe that she's there. Won't believe that she's dead. Ah, yeah. So, do you have any notes on this next segment of the Tower of Spirits? Tower of Spirits 4. Song Nice Climbing Stairs. Yes, the song is very nice. Now that you've, you get to climb quite a bit in the tower, it's a very nice song that gradually kicks in. It adds more instruments the more layers you add on, and the instruments are keyed in as you ascend the stairs. Um, there are warp phantoms that will warp to you and hit you. If you're detected. Yes, and there are f- what are called phantom eyes, little alarm things. Oh, those are the things that can get the warp phantoms over to you. I hate those fucking things. In the depths of my memory, I hate them. And, yeah, um, once Zelda manages to possess a warp phantom, once you get enough tears of light or whatever, um, she can actually warp through. Um, like You draw a little line over to something, but she'll actually warp her way there. So she becomes much more powerful. Yeah. And that makes the puzzle solving in this particular segment's latter half much more interesting, I think. God, I love Spirit Tracks. Just the way that they design all the puzzles around being able to control two characters is so good in every single part. There should be a cutscene here if you two want to take a look at it. Uh, I'm not looking at cutscenes right now. Are you looking at cutscenes, Crystal? I am looking at, at right after the the ocean post-ocean part. Um, in the actual tower, something happens. I don't know if it's captured in the cutscene YouTube clip, but this journey up the tower is a little bit different than the other ones. How is it different? Burn shows up. Oh! oh I thought this was after the fire part. Um, not according to my notes, but I may have mixed that up. Slight pause as we check. He shows up after you get the fire rail map, and then you fight him again after the fire part. Oh, yes. So Burn does show up. And, but you don't fight him at this point. No, you're just very shocked. And it's like, this is the guy who beat Alfonso. He's super tough. And Crystal, do you want to describe what happens? I'm bringing up the cutscene. Restoring the spirit tracks. Rebuilding this tower. You two were behind it all, weren't you? It didn't have to come to this, you know. If you just minded your own business. We read Burn very differently, you and I. So Burn's gonna gonna slap Link and go Zelda silly, but then Angie shows up. Says, "Stop, Burn! I always suspected this day would come." 
Indeed, I had a premonition the day you left the tower. And Link and Zelda seem very surprised that Anji and Byrne know each other. Because why would they? Anji continues, No matter how many times I corrected your behavior, you were never very good at listening, weren't you? You were an unworthy apprentice. Which means that Byrne is a locomo. Yeah, but he has legs. Um, as we later find out, they all have legs. Now look at you. How can I face the spirits of good? The spirits sent us here to continue their work, that you would try to resurrect the Demon King. It's unfathomable to me. I have no wish to continue the work of the spirits. Why would I want to serve the spirits when I can become as powerful as they are? That was the reason why I came to study with you. Oh, I... But mm. the spirits never answered me. No matter how hard I worked or how long, they never granted me any more powers. Tell me, Master, when you realize that your wish will never be granted, what do you do then? The answer was clear. Become even more powerful than the spirits themselves. And the only being more powerful is Maladus. Sorry. Yeah, um... Byrne doesn't have much in the way of motivation, though for our listeners, uh, his voice is a little bit cooler than Crystal's making it seem. What? What, what did I miss? You missed the part where uh, Crystal's reading the conversation between Angine and Byrne. Oh. So, are the Locomo, like, born? They seem to be. Who's, who's Byrne's parents? Maybe they aren't born. Maybe they are protective spirits like Kokiri or Koroks. Okay, so they, they are lesser spirits to the spirits of good. Yes, though they are also like high-level guardian spirits, so they're almost like minor gods in and of themselves. Did we talk about Burns' like pretty questionable logic about power? Crystal was actually just getting to oh, that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, Burn wants to be the most powerful, and the spirits of good aren't granting him any more power, so maybe Maladus will. Yeah, that's basically the whole thing. Because Maladus is stronger, so then if Burn serves somebody who's stronger, then... He'll be stronger. Power? Yeah. He'll be granted power specifically, yeah. is what he thinks. He specifically wants power. He doesn't even seem like he wants to do anything with it. He just wants it. That's... Right, it's like how people want money. Yeah. Burn wants lots of money. And the spirits of good aren't giving him any money. So Anjin just teleports Link and Zelda back to the bottom of the temple, and it looks like Anjin and Burn are going to have a scuffle. I'm sad we don't get to see the scuffle. It must have been very interesting. Magic fight. Why do you say that? Who do you think won? I think Anjin pretty definitively wins that fight. Yeah. Because she's not dead. Like, well, if, What does death even mean to the locomo? <laughs> um, actually, we will get to that. <laughs> we will actually get to that. Yes. But yeah, um, the only both of them end up surviving the encounter, which suggests to me that Angine ran Burn off, even if she was wounded. In both the of their wounds were rather rather serious. Yeah. It does come up later. Oh, okay. But you get a concern that Angine might totally get her shit wrecked and die. And she might die because and she's doing the hold the line and get the children out thing. Yeah, but no, she's she's really badass. So yeah. You just don't get to you don't get to see it, but she did it. That's good enough. Let's talk about the Gorons. Okay, what about the Gorons? Well, okay, first first thing to note when you start going to the Fire Realm is that a few hours have passed because it's now the afternoon. Is it the afternoon even when you go back to the Forest Realm? <laughs> no. No, it's only the afternoon in the Fire Realm. Oh, okay. 
is so is the new kingdom so large that it's a different time zone completely in the fire realm compared to the forest realm how does that but work it's in the same like longitude as the ocean realm i got nothing i don't have anything <laughs> You know what? My bad. I'm sorry. I turned this almost into a geographical discussion. I shouldn't have done that. My apologies. That's the one thing never to do in ne- the Legend of Zelda n- series. Not never, because no, I'm sorry. That that's that's me. So it's afternoon. What about the Gorons, Crystal? So the Gorons are led by the Goron Elder and a Goron named Kagoron, who is the messenger of the mountain goddess. Yes. Um. What? Yeah, the mountain goddess. And he's currently praying that an eruption should, uh, for an eruption to stop, because I think they're getting pelted with rocks and shit. Yeah, there's a big fire that's blocking the way to the the fire temple. It, it's pretty interesting that the Gorons worship a, a goddess. Yeah, what's the deal with that? <laughs> the Gorons view the entire world as being inherently masculine in the first place. The idea that they would worship a goddess implies that there was a lot of cultural cross-pollination when it came to their religion. Uh-huh. How do you think the Gorons got here to begin with? Did keep... they get here with the Hyruleans or separately? Is it possible that the Gorons... Hmm. Maybe they were here the whole time. Maybe they just never left. Yeah. Maybe like, this is like a segment of their population that never went to Hyrule in the first place. There Where were there only, is rock, there is Goron. Yeah. There were only three Gorons in Wind Waker to begin with. Yeah. And they were merchants from far off places, Are et you suggesting that during the Great Flood, the Gorons may have fled through the Lost Woods seeking new lands? Sure. I also do like the idea that they never left this original place, though. At least some of them. One population just yeah. kept there. And this is the the ancient god that the Hyrulean Gorons forgot. Oh, so this mountain goddess is the equivalent of Jabu Jabu or the Deku Tree. Yes, this is the lost god. That's really cool. Is the mountain goddess actually a giant Dodongo? I don't think there's actually any interaction. Because I, in, you don't even get a statue or anything. Because in the Ocarina of Time episode, we kind of concluded that it's possible that the enormous Dodongo whose body makes up so much of Death Mountain may have been the original god of the Gorons. But if this population was isolated compared to the rest of the Gorons and didn't interact with the other peoples of Hyrule after this land was fled by everyone else, then maybe they are worshipping the original god of the Gorons, the mountain goddess. That's pretty cool. This timeline is actually starting to come together into something really interesting looking, and it almost feels dangerous. We're going to do a giant picture of the timeline. Are we? Aren't we? I guess we should. It'd be fun. It's hard to tell looking at this very low-resolution screenshot of Spirit Tracks, but at the altar of the mountain goddess... Wait, no, that's just Kagoron. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Kagoron looks funny. That's not a statue at all. (laughs) It's just a Goron, also made of stone. So to get to the fire sanctuary, you need to go back to the snow realm and get a mega ice. Yes. What do they? What do we need the mega ice for? Well, you need the mega ice in order to quell the lava flows that are blocking off parts of the village. Oh. And so that's one how of that the works. <laughs> one of the Gorons gives you a fright cart attachment 
for your train. Oh, that's right, because now you have four separate segments to your train. The engine, the cannon, the passenger car, and the freight car. Yes, it's a very, very utility train. It opens up a whole new kind of hauling side quest. Because you need to transport lumber later, if I remember. Yep, and Kuko's. The Anuki who sells you the Mega Ice offers it for 100 rupees. But you can barter him down to 50, and then you can barter him down to 25, and then to 20, and then to free. (laughs) Just like that? How? Do you just, like, bully him, or...? Yeah, you just bully him. You just go, nope, I'm not buying it for that price. Sheesh, you know, you really know how to twist a guy's flipper. Tell you what, this time, the ice is free. Heck, I'll even load it on your train for you. Yes, for free. Sheesh. Happy now. (laughs) This is after a long, like, mini quest where you actually have to take the Anuki from Anuki Village to this other private, pure ice location so that it can comfortably make unpolluted ice. I feel like... I paid the full 100 rupees for the Mega Ice my first playthrough. I feel like that probably happened. We're not good with bartering. We always feel bad, but if if you had actually done substantial work for somebody... Yeah. And, yeah, and I'd be like, what do them, you mean? Yeah. But Give what? me that first shipment free. I have some things to do to save the planet over here, bucko. And I just gave you a new source of revenue. I didn't charge you to transfer you across half the goddamn continent, now did I? Actually, Link doesn't charge anyone. Yeah, I know. How does he sustain himself financially? The, the government pays him. Oh. Yeah, Link is a civil servant. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, before we get back to hauling the ice over, I did want to, before I forget, take us back a little bit to a couple key lines where they talk about force. Uh, we're going to get back to pay in a minute, too. To pay? Yeah. Oh. As soon as they mentioned that the government was paying, I was thinking like everyone in the forest realm has like a guaranteed minimum income that's paid out to them by the government from collected taxes. And one of the first things that Chancellor Cole did was axe the program. Is this Ontario? Fuck. Crystal, I'm real mad about Doug Ford. He seems like a piece of shit. He's a big piece of shit. He's worse than his brother ever was. And his brother was not good. Monica, tell me about the forks. <sighs> The Forks or the Fords? No, the Forks. The the Forks? Oh, the Force! Yes. Um, can you pull up the script? Because my handwriting is pretty terrible. Uh-huh. Search for every living being has an energy. This is something that Carbon talks to you. There's a line from Anjin that's, as I'm sure you know, happiness and gratitude create energy. Well, I am deeply grateful to both of you for all your help. I cannot help you directly, but I can at least give you this Force gem. Everybody has some force in them, and it's the force of happiness. Oh, gratitude crystals. Yes. The Hyrule Historia says, Force, the sacred power the gods gave to the world. It's the breath of life itself. It's interesting how it changed from currency and random stuff to, like, really magical energy that you know, forms physical objects. Well, I mean, you you focus the power of the Force Gems and Four Swords Adventures into the Four Sword to fight good. Fair. Hyrule Historia. (laughs) Yeah, the Hyrule Historia. That strictly non-canon document. It's as canon as anything else. Which is to say not. I think its explanation here is fine. Yeah, I mean, that's It's a good summary of what what Force actually is in this game. Yeah, it's good enough. That's all I wanted to say. Where were we at? Crystal? 
we're gonna get the mega ice and we gotta deliver it back to back to the gorons but be fast because you don't want it to melt the mega ice that's going to cool off the lava yeah you're now here's my question What's the difference between the life force that Bellum feeds upon and the force of the force gems? It's the same thing. No difference. Okay. Zelda just has a lot of it. So I guess it's it's also described in her as being semi-divine, I think, or divine. Well, no, Bellum feeds on the life force of everything, not just Zelda. So then the gratitude crystals are also force gems. They just didn't have the name. They do have power. They, yeah. have, they have the power to transform monsters into not monsters. At some point, they coalesced into like these triangle things. And the only difference of the light force is that Zelda has a godly key. Crystal, what do you mean? Well, in Dragon Ball Super, when Goku unlocks the Super Saiyan God transformation, it changes his key, his life force, uh, from that of a mortal to that of a god. Oh, key like chi. 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 Yeah. I thought I was thinking about door keys. No, no, no. In in no, he hasn't got like a keyblade or something. Oh, maybe cuz oh, it's like a pun. Keyblade. Yes. Is it huh. Is it just pronounced key in Japanese? I don't actually know. It's chi in Chinese. Feel free to write in with clarification on the proper pronunciation of Goku's life force, <laughs> which transitions from that of the Saiyajin to the gods. Bringing ice into a fire realm seems very fraught. But it's mega ice. It's strong ice that can stop lava. Then why is it melting? <laughs> it's not. It's melting when you take it over. It's super not. It's literally melting. You have like 10 or 20 minutes. You're having a psychosomatic reaction. The ice is. The ice is having a psychosomatic <laughs> reaction. absorbing the heat. That is literally what it's doing, yes. That's what all ice does <laughs> when it melts. Is all ice mega ice? No, that's why it's mega ice. I don't think the mega ice is... I think it's still H2O. It's just very cold. I mean, it can only be so cold. <laughs> it can only be so cold. It's zero Kelvin. Maybe it's mega ice because it's just very big hunks of ice. I was thinking that it was just like magic ice. You can be H2O and have magic. Cold magic. <laughs> it stops lava. It's powerful ice. Oh, man. When you um, when you take the mega ice back to Goron Village and you cool the lava flow or whatever, and you, you, you are able to talk to the Goron Elder, he mentions that... Uh, to get to the fire sanctuary, there's a secret path entrusted only to the Goron elders. The location of it is secret. And then he moves like two feet to the side because it was just right behind him. It's a very good joke. <laughs> it's a very good joke. Spirit Tracks is full of very good jokes and weird comedic timings that are absolutely worth experiencing. Again, everyone in the sound of my voice either play or watch Spirit Tracks for God's sakes. So now you can go to the fire sanctuary and play a song with Carbon. Carbon's just in there? Uh, Ambrose. Ambrose. Wait, yes, you're right. It's Ambrose, not Carbon. Carbon's the last one. Ambrose, I guess it means embers? Yeah, like fire. I just think embor. Like the Pokemon. Yes. It's also phonetically similar to Embros, like the Mario Brothers. Oh, gosh. That was on the wiki, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. On Zelda.gamepedia.com? 
I think yes, so. Yes, the preferred wiki of the Book of Medora. Yes. That is our preferred Zelda wiki. We do not endorse the Zelda wikia. <laughs> this one is a bit of a reach, though. I, I go M- back and forth between them sometimes, but both Crystal and Monica have informed me that the Gamepedia wiki is the superior Zelda wiki. It is. Wait and until- Ambrose's instrument is Darmani's drums. Yeah, some drums. That's pretty cool. And this musical section is much easier on a new 3DS than it is on the original 3DS because the microphone on the original 3DS sucks monkey bottom. Could it be that your 3DS is just old? That's also very possible. It's lost the analog stick. Yeah, the analog circle pad came off years ago and I've been playing with a little nub beneath it ever since. Ambrose also calls Zelda Zelda of Hyrule. Zelda of the Hyrule family. Could be, yeah, or of the old Hyrule. Like, everybody is. If this kingdom was actually called Hyrule, then everybody would be of Hyrule. I like how Ambrose looks like the uh, the Goran Ruby, sort of. <laughs> A little bit. Because his hair is arranged, like, in three columns, with the center one being much higher than the other two. So he looks kind of like he's made of flames. And his beard is styled sort of like the symbol of the Gorans from Ocarina of Time. Actually, yeah. Actually, with that empty space in between, it it definitely is. Yeah. That is weird. It's not weird. It's just a thema- It's just a design consistency. It's cute how each realm and each um, area has its own little symbol. It's also interesting that he refers to his drum set as timpani. Timpani? Timpani, yeah. I don't really... Even though it looks like bongos. I don't think anybody actually refers to it as timpani. But every wiki. single every single locomo does tell you what their instrument is. Do they? Okay. At, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. Granted, I've only talked to two of them so far, but I think I remember the one from the Ice Sanctuary telling me that. Okay, cool. Um, What else about this? Did we talk about how, how do the locomo see Zelda when nobody else can? Are they just more magical? They're They're spirits. They're spiritually attuned. Mm. Okay. I mean, they're servants of the spirits of good. They are basically minor gods in and of themselves. It would be weirder if they couldn't see her. That's fair. The better question is, why can Link see her? It's like that episode of the Zelda cartoon, which you haven't seen. Yeah. Some of our listeners may have. I'll just leave it there. Oh, okay. Um, We are going to do a Zelda cartoon episode of the Book of Medora, right? Of course. (laughs) When do we want to do that? Uh, whenever we feel like. We could do it as like a break before we get into the enormous Skyward Sword stuff. That seems like good timing. Yeah, that would give both Crystal and I some time to catch up with Skyward Sword. Yeah, that's a good idea, I think. Okay. Um, oh, boy. Once we're finished with Spirit Tracks, we'll. I guess I'm going to watch the entire Zelda cartoon. There's only like, what, 12 episodes? Yeah, 12 or 13 or so, I think. They're not great. That's fine. They don't have to be great. In fact, it's better if they're not. In fact, it's much better if they're not. Oh, 80s cartoons. Yeah, 80s cartoons are great. In fact, um, anybody who hears this, by the time this episode goes up, we're probably going to be real close to actually recording the episode for the Legend of Zelda cartoon. So if you want to send in letters regarding that, send them in now. Now, 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 now. You can check off like all of the 80s tropes in the cartoon oh this is going to be a fun old time then oh do you think the mountain goddess is one of the spirits of good that would make sense 
And the reason she's not responding is because she's busy in heaven sleeping. She's a force gem. Is that what? <laughs> that was one of my conclusions from the previous episode. That the spirits oh. of good became force yeah, gems? to power the seal for... Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. You said that? Why don't I remember that? I, I don't know. Why don't you remember that? That's a good question, because I would have heard it twice. But they're giant... Yeah, they're giant force gems. They gave down their lives for, for powering the seal for Melodis. Huh. That was my... One of my theories. It's an okay theory. So she's still technically there protecting them. Okay. That's nice. I do think it, yeah, it should probably be a spirit of good, right? Yeah. That they worship. Does that... So why didn't Anjin explain to Burn that the spirits of good can't grant you any powers because they're dead? <laughs> um, I feel like the also the idea of the spirits of good being force gems necessarily means that the idea that these mountain goddesses the original goddess of the gorons equivalent to jabu jabu or the deku tree has to be untrue like they can't both be true mm. i Why feel not? but because that would imply that jabu jabu and the deku tree should also be force gems and not alive as of ocarina of time but they don't have to be spirits of good but they're the three equivalent gods they're their own triad why would... it doesn't have to be symmetrical in a zelda game well, technically, it was never symmetrical with the Gorons in Ocarina of Time for them in the first place. Well, so. that that lack of symmetry has been the source of a lot of discussion on this podcast, though. Yeah, I think that looking for the missing part of that symmetry is one of the most fun things to do here. So you play the thing. What else do you have to do to get to the fire sanctuary at the fire temple? Well, you had to ride the tracks all the way up the mountain, which is not Death Mountain, but it might as well be. It's essentially Death Mountain. Does yeah, it? but they don't have that here. They have a new mountain. Do they spit fire at you? Uh, there's like... There's monsters. There's lava. Rocks can land on the track, and you do have to bomb it, or else you will crash and face first. Good. There is a three-lock gate to the, to the temple. The... Three locks are three flying monsters that hate your horn. Like the little flying elephant beasts. How do you oh, remember yeah, yeah, that? yeah. You have to do like one short two and then one long two, which will stun them. Yes. And then you got to hit them. What do you mean, how do I remember that? Little elephant beasts are all over the place. Oh, they're like bigger or differently colored or something. Oh, okay. One short two and one long two, you say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that mean something? No, not at all. Not that I'm aware of. It probably means something in Morse code. Maybe. I like the musical puzzles that are in the uh, ice temple. Since I just did that one, you have a few puzzles where you have to strike bells at different frequencies to play a little tune, and it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. You know, I think that probably the instruments in the series got progressively worse in terms of feedback going from the ocarina to the spirit flute or sorry from the ocarina to the wind waker to the spirit flute to the goddess's harp generally they started off as strong as they ever got and got progressively weaker from there with the harp probably being the weakest by a pretty decent margin for sure but i really wish they would bring back the instrument thing yeah, just bring back the ocarina. Just bring back the ocarina. That's fine. They yeah. Can, they can just do that wholesale. It's been 20 years. So you go up the mountain. You fight the big elephant beasties. You get inside the fire temple. What is the fire temple like? It's full of mine carts. Oh, so it's the Donkey Kong temple. <laughs> yeah, it's the Donkey Kong temple. There are also pit traps. 
that still sounds like a Donkey Kong template. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm only adding to it. You get a bow, and you can shoot the bow into an arrow orb that can redirect where the arrow goes. I love the arrow orb. Yeah. That's neat, I guess. <laughs> I think the bow is the most boring item in the game. The bow itself is inherently not interesting, but the way that you can use it, because later on there are arrow orbs that you can change the direction of, right? You can do it in this one. Like, do you do that by hitting them, or do you do it by blowing wind at them? I think you hit them. But you get some puzzle solving where you use the arrow to, like, you make the path for the arrow and then use it to solve the puzzle in cool ways. That instantly makes the bow much more engaging than it is as a puzzle tool in any of the other games where it's present. You can also move the arrow booster things. Oh. Puzzling. So, yeah, the bow is boring as an item in a vacuum, but the puzzles that are, built, that are built around it are a lot of fun, which is more testament to the general strength of puzzle design in Spirit Tracks than anything else, I guess. The mini-boss of this dungeon is a Pokemon. It's Heat Which Toys. Pokemon is it? Oh, there's a Fire Turtle. I don't remember all the names anymore. But there's a Fire Turtle Pokemon, and this one's a Fire Turtle. And it'll just hide into its shell and spin towards you, and you can't do anything about it. But there's some fire traps around the arena, so you got to trick it into spinning into the fire trap, which will stun it, and then you can hit it with your sword. There are several other members of the Audio Entropy podcast who, when they hear the previous um, little dissertation, will immediately scream at us the name of the mysterious fire turtle. No, I need to get the name now. Oh, it's Torkoal. Torkoal, yes. That's right. I like it. It's not great, but it's uh, very cute looking. Monica can confirm. I did not look that up. I just remembered it off the top of my head. That's true. Thank you. So... When, what, what, what do you get after you beat the after you beat the Torkoal, Crystal? You get the bow and arrow. Oh, that's good. I do like how this game gives you mini bosses that are much easier to fight after you get the item. Yeah, because yeah. you can just shoot it afterwards with the arrow and then it dies. Because it has a big glowing jewel weak point on its head. Poor turtle. Poor turtle. All he wants to do is spin around and you just happen <laughs> to be And be there. on fire. And be on fire. Is that, so, is that so wrong? No. Let's talk about the boss of this temple. There's some interesting things to talk about. Yes. It's a big rock cyclops, but its eye kind of looks like Vati's eye. Can we talk about the most interesting thing about it? Its mm-hmm. name is Kragma. Yeah. Why is that interesting? I it's a, it's a silly name, and I like it. I, <laughs> I, it's, not, it's not genuinely interesting. I just thought it was funny. Oh. It's the Melting Flame Giant, Iwantosu. Okay, you'll have to explain that one. That's the Japanese name. The Melting Flame Giant, Iwantosu. Oh, cool. That sounds a lot more interesting than its English subtitle. Lava Lord. Yeah, that's like, eh. Why does its eye look like Vati? I don't have an answer. What? Why do you think it looks like Vati's eye? I think Vati has some sign of relationship to the mountain goddess. Go on. I think perhaps Vati stole away the mountain goddess. Was she a cute girl? Kragma. Yes. <laughs> oh no. And created Kragma. So where's the mountain goddess now? She's right there. You kill her. I'm putting this theory in the dumpster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe it's just, you know, demonic eye things. 
It's demonic. I mean, the easiest thing is to say, like, ah, well, they just return to this particular design for eyes occasionally. It's just a thing, especially... They really do. Especially for this particular um, designer. Because I think this is the same illustrator that worked on the Minish Cap. And the boss keys all kind of look like it. Yeah. We we went over this last episode where the boss key also has that same Vati eye symbol in it. But it has since Wind Waker. Oh, God. This is what's kept the Vati fans going for that decade-long period, wasn't it? Maybe. Sorry, Vatis fans. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. That's fine. <coughs> God knows I've the been... The boss fight is cool because it, it take, takes up both screens and you, you ride around on the minecart and it's like a three-dimensional boss fight where you gotta hit the glowing weak points with your bow. Yeah, it is really fun. It's kind of like in one way, it's kind of like Stalord, but with a bow. It is somewhat like Stalord. For our listeners who don't remember, Stalord was the boss of the Arbiter's Ground in Twilight Princess. And I think there's actually a boss in Triforce Heroes that you have to fight in uh, minecarts. Something like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That fucking thing. We're going to have to do another one of the goofy episodes uh, at some point so that we can give ourselves extra time to play through Triforce Heroes as a group. That will be fun. Yeah. But yeah, you fight the Kragma, and it's a cool fight where you go up and down on different levels, and you have to fight it with the multi-dimensionals, and you shoot it in places, and it's a fun fight. What happens when you kill it? Well, you get the Red Force Gem. The Spirit of Good of Fire. You get the corpse of the Mountain Goddess. No, I don't buy into the Spirits of Good being Force Gems. I don't. I don't. They left. They left after the Where does the Force come from? We've already established... That force is a life energy. Faror. What? All life extends from the Triforce goddess. Yes. Oh, that's where the name come from. Force is a corruption of Farors. But these... You know what? No, that goes in the dumpster, too, because <laughs> we, we still don't have good indication that those goddesses are real. But come on now. The life energy of people and their appreciation and happiness creates force gems. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the dead light spirits that make the force gems, though. That can just be a manifestation of all the power and effort that they invested into defeating Maladus. And then they went away, well, like sure. died. But that uh, they don't have to be dead. They don't come back. This isn't their corpses. They don't come so back. So if all of the force gems did a big fusion, they would make Feror. No. <laughs> Because she created all the life energy, and this is life energy, pieces of life energy. I'm very sorry I said what I did. (laughs) You would take it back if you could. I can't, though. Only through the power of podcast editing could I take it back. How long have we been going Well, it's time to go back to the Tower of Spirits. Oh, good. But when you get there, it's your old pal, Sasuke. (laughs) Yeah? I see you fixed the spirit tower. What is with your bird voice? (laughs) My congratulations. And you almost did it in time to prevent all this. What the fuck is this foreign voice? I still don't get it. This is after... Is this after you um, go through the tower? I think it is. There isn't anything to really talk about aside from there's wrecker phantoms that turn into giant boulder that you can roll around. That's really cool, though. I guess it's cool. Tower Spirits is very cool. Similar to the Temple of the Ocean King, only there's less for people to complain about. Um, but yes, please continue with uh, your Sasuke reading. God. 
Unfortunately for you, Maladus has already begun the final stage of rebirth. His resurrection will soon be complete, and I can't let you cause any more harm. Zelda says, hey, that's what we were going to say. Well, maybe we won't let you cause any more harm. Zelda's very Burn good. Yeah, Byrne says he's going to become as powerful of the spirits, and he won't let anyone get in his way. He'll eliminate them, no matter who it is. And it's time for a boss fight. Yay! And this is a very good boss fight that is genuinely one of my favorite in the entire series. Why is it one of your favorite in the entire series? Because up to this point, you've had a few fights that Link can't win on his own, but all the bosses have still been things that he's been able to address using his tools and his cleverness and his strength. But Burn is not like that. Burn is better than Link is. Burn can't be beaten by Link by himself at no point. So what you have to do is work together with Zelda. And Zelda's overwhelming strength is the only thing that gives you a chance. It's just a little thematic thing that I really enjoy. Mechanically, the boss fight isn't a lot to write home about, but in terms of its setup and its themes and how the boss fight looks is really cool because whenever you send Zelda against Burn, I can't remember if this is just the latter portion of the boss fight or what, she'll charge him and grab at him and they'll do that anime test of strength thing where their fingers are laced together and they're pushing against each other and then you run over as Link and wail on Burns' ribs with your sword? <laughs> yes. And you just beat him half to fucking death, you and Zelda working together. I think the first, the first half... Yeah, please. Sorry, go on. Please go on. The first half of the boss fight is Burn like, charging up his rocket fist to shoot at you. <laughs> and you gotta dodge it, and then it gets stuck in the ground. And then Zelda grabs it and just pulls it so he falls off the pillar he's standing on face first into the ground Eat where shit. you start hitting him in the butt yeah whoop his ass you can actually distract burn with the spirit flute really if you play it he comments something like that sound or something <laughs> that sound he's so anime i uh, see you're reading him as much more of an asshole i've always read it as having a much more wistful tone no no absolutely no i mean crystal oh I, I read it as that sound. Crystal's going in very hard on reading Sasuke as Sasuke for someone who's never watched Naruto. Sasuke's a shit. Sasuke is a shit. Hmm. That sounds. <laughs> and he gets real wistful about it for a second and it allows you to beat on him a little bit longer. And then you get to the second part of the fight, which is the part that I mentioned where Zelda just basically throws hands and it's really good. Oh boy, this is great. I remember. What? So... You, you and Zelda beat Burn. Link and Zelda beat Burn, and they high five and like awesome job. And they're like all happy and like smiling and like completely forgetting that he didn't poof. He has he's limping off into the background. Like he's escaping as yes. they're celebrating. The the music really helps enhance this. I'll try and see if I can find the tune for it. Is this where we should leave off? How long have we been recording? About one hour and fifty minutes. I think this is a good point to leave off, yes. Yay! It is three episodes. So then Cameron, where can people send us questions? You can send questions via email to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. We need to clear the question document. It's getting pretty big. Okay. It's being a bit of a chunky month. First question comes in from Tem. Do you think Jolene my name, and Joanne, 
might be descended from Gerudo, similar to how people theorize Telma might be as well. Hmm. I definitely think they're very unique because their their eyes are all black. There's no um Gerudo don't have black eyes. Yeah, it's, it's not quite Gerudo. I do think they're a different race though. That they're not Hylian? Mm-hmm. They but... almost look like the great fairies. I don't know that I necessarily think that they're Gerudo, though, or descended from them. The idea that you can be descended from a Gerudo but not a Gerudo seems to run counter to how Gerudo work in the setting. I, I don't know if there's any basis in actual logic for this, but they always struck me as kind of like butterflies. Butterfly people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> With the eyes and... Was there like a curly bit of their hair? I mean, they're very much themed after the Gerudo pilots of Majora's Mask. So in terms of their design, yeah, I could definitely see that. They look sort of like Gerudo, except they have real, 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 real tiny noses and black hair. Really, the only thing they have going for them is that they're women with tan skin. I think their mother was a Terminian Gerudo who got lost at sea, and their other mother was one of Wind Waker's great fairies. Those eyes. So... Could it be that Jolene is immortal and this is the same Jolene in Spirit Tracks as was in Phantom Hourglass? Yeah, she's got that fairy blood. Okay, so there is no Jolene the third, and oh man, this is going. And that just ties it even more to the fairy man Tinkle. Which means that Linebeck the third is the grandson of her heart. And utter shit kid. And a shit kid. Tingle is a lot like Steven Universe. Where he is, his father is just a regular man, and then his mother was a magic lady. Who is Tingle's mom in Majora's Mask? Never mentioned. The fairy. Maybe. Must be. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. Well, that question went places. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they're necessarily descended from Gerudo, but Crystal does. So here we are. Jasmine asks, did you like the self-referential islands? Is it fun to be little Goron buddy? Are there any issues you had with the control scheme? This is for Phantom Hourglass, I think. I like the DS Island, I and I like the control island. scheme, and yeah. I like being a little Goron buddy. Uh, yeah, I'll sign off on all of those. Um, the only problem that I ever had with the control scheme was trying to play the game on my 3DS and the microphone not working very good. Yeah, I think none of us had any issue with the controls for Phantom Hourglass or Spirit Tracks. No, I do love little Goron buddy. Yeah. He's my good friend and a shit kid. Crystal, did this next question also come from Jasmine or do we just not have the person that it came from? I believe it also comes from Jasmine. Oh, good. Jasmine asks, why is it called a Sheikah Slate and not a Triphone? Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Jasmine. Oh, we could have saved that for the joke segment. It's great. I mean, do you want to answer the question? (laughs) Well, it's because Pura named it the Sheikah Slate. Oh, no, that's a terrible, boring answer. It's in the text. Yeah. Pura named it that literally because it's a slate made by Sheikah hands. Um, it also doesn't really act as a phone. Oh, yeah, there's no communications in it. It's more of an intelligent pad. Yeah, some kind of, yeah, an intelligent pad. Okay, Tim writes in... Uh, with reference to Twilight Princess. Hey, y'all. What's up with Henna having a photo of the fishing hole guy from Ocarina of Time? Why is this the only photograph from that time that we see, and possibly the most well-preserved artifact from that time period? 
For our listeners who don't remember, because we didn't talk about her much in the episodes, Henna is the woman who runs the fishing hole in Twilight Princess. She's cute. She is cute. This is actually a very important bit of background lore, because it means that Link brought back the Pictobox technology from Termina. Oh. You don't think that that could have just been, like, uh, discovered independently? Well, if it happened during that man's lifetime, while he was still of a similar age, I think it was probably Link. Wait a minute. Isn't there a picture of the fishing hole guy in the Ocarina of Time fishing hole during the adult timeline? Is there? Um, hmm. Let's check. Let's look it up. Now, is the picture of the fishing hole guy that she has, is he wearing a hat or no? He is wearing a hat. Oh, okay. So we know generally when that takes place. My memory may be betraying me here. Now, the fishing hole man of Hyrule does not wear a hat, but the fishing hole man of Termina does. The fishing hole man of Hyrule wears a hat after the seven year period. After he goes bald. Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> you can take the hat off of his head. Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You got on my case after breaking those pots. This was years ago. And you tortured that old lady for no reason. And Skyward Sword. And now she's going to try to get you expelled. And it'll be absolutely justified from all the property destruction you did. Um, I'm going to save the headmaster's daughter. And I don't think I go back to school. Well, then maybe you won't get expelled. I like the idea of Link bringing pictograph technology back. If not an entire pictograph, then definitely, you know, hey, why don't we try doing this this certain method of preserving photography? It does imply that it would have had to have happened fairly soon after Link came back. Because there's a very narrow window in terms of years between Link's return and when that picture could have been taken. And then it... Yeah. Hmm. It took a picture of him ca finally catching that Helium Loach, and then this legendary feat was remembered in his family for generations. Nobody ever caught a bigger one. Why is that the only photograph from the time that we see? I got nothing. Maybe they never successfully replicated the Pictobox technology, and it was just Link's Pictobox. And then he left with the Pictobox? Sure, why not? Or it broke, or he was buried with it, or something. The picto box was in color, right? Um, yeah. That picture, that photo was in black and white, or sepia. It's aged. Oh, okay. The color got aged out of it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the Calvin and Hobbes um, strip, where Calvin's dad just says that colors didn't come into phase until, like, the, the 80s 60s. or 60s yeah. or whatever. So it's not even just that this is a revered ancestor within Hannah's family, but that having a photograph at all is a great treasure. Those photographs may be, like, that photograph may be the most valuable thing that we ever see during the game. Yes. Interesting thought. Hannah has a lot of very interesting things about her that we didn't touch on much. I think that she's something like the third most popular ship option in Twilight Princess. May she is a young woman. She is a young woman. She does talk about how Link is cute. And, uh, yeah, I guess. And something like, about going out and rowing with her. Oh, right. She won't go out and row with anyone unless she thinks they're dateable. Right. Yeah. 
And I think she says that before she goes out rowing with you. Like, this is back when you don't go rowing to fish or something. Is this all a ploy to, like, get customers? Like, oh. Oh, man. <laughs> she thinks I'm dateable. I'll go. That's and... absolutely it, yes. <laughs> that, that, we all did the retail stint. We did. We all know. That's no joke. Don't ask Kenna out. It's fucked up. Well, she's on the job. Yeah. But she's always on the job. Um, Mothy asks, which is the better bonus outfit? Wind Waker Link's blue shirt or Spirit Tracks Link's conductor uniform? It's definitely the conductor uniform. Not even close. <laughs> 100% the conductor uniform. What are your thoughts? Um, Go ahead. I like the crawfish shirt. It's good. I like the blue, and it was apparently so inspiring they stuck it in, in Breath of the Wild. Uh-huh. I, I like the conductor uniform, too. I don't know. Do I have to choose? Yes. I will be choosing Wind Waker Link's crawfish shirt to be contrary okay the conductor uniform is the better bonus outfit two to one and that is now the law <sighs> it's a shame maybe you could have changed the law by convincing us otherwise i i i don't really have a reason though this is the power of democracy <laughs> what if they did a breath of the wild and link just always wore the conductor uniform in this game that would be extremely good yeah what if it was a Zelda game, but all you had to do was just ferry people around and cargo? That would also be good. Yeah. We don't hear a lot about people. Well, there aren't a lot of people who play Spirit Tracks, but we don't hear a lot of people who say like, oh, I just like playing the train parts. I like playing the train parts. But you don't just like playing them. Not just that part, no. But it could be a game on its own if you expanded on it. Not a 50-hour game, but it could be a game. Do we want to take some emails? Yeah, we do have two emails in the chamber of this gun that we will shoot into this podcast. Bang. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> the first email comes in from Daniel. During the last episode, Phantom Hourglass, I, there was a question about Hyrulean legends that got me thinking about the culture of Hyrule. What are some traditions and cultural aspects of the world of Zelda that you find interesting? What are some you theorize exist? In this case, culture would refer to things such as entertainment, food, holidays, and everyday traditional beliefs and etiquette. Secondly, Cameron has in the past mentioned the theory about Nintendo worlds being connected through dreams. So I believe that DS Island exists as a result of an odd image that appeared in the Ocean King's mind that stuck with him enough to feel the need to shape an island in his domain like this. Ooh. This, now, we don't get a very good sense of what kind of crops are grown in Hyrule. No. Pumpkins. Pumpkin. Yes, they definitely eat pumpkins for sure. Pumpkins and horse meat. <laughs> oh no. Where pigs is the pigs in Wind Waker? They eat pigs on that set. Yeah. Um, the Yeti eats like there seems to be carrots. There's fish. There's cheese. I think that the idea of culture as presented in the Zelda series largely is kept intentionally vague so that you can fill in some details for yourself, partially so they don't have to do that particular aspect of the world building, but partially so it's easier to reflect your own values in the world that you see. What about the Indiegogos? We have a pretty good idea of musical traditions. For, yes. For some of them anyway. But things like food, but like holidays, everyday beliefs and etiquette, you get hints of it, but... I don't know. The question is basically asking for headcanon, and that's such a 
big thing that I don't know if I can interface with it in the space of like an answer to a question on the podcast. Do they celebrate Christmas? No. Do they have some sort of Yuletide equivalents? I don't know. We haven't even really seen winter in the Zelda series ever. No. They should let Shane Black direct the Zelda game. I don't get it. Because all his movies are set during Christmas. Oh, okay. What did Shane Black direct? Uh, Iron Man 3. Is Iron Man 3 the best Christmas movie? No, the best Christmas movie is that one version of A Christmas Carol made in the 80s. Oh, okay. I wasn't actually saying that Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie. It's not. It just happens to take place in December. Similar to how Die Hard also isn't a Christmas movie. I mean, Iron Man 3 is kind of about the death and resurrection of Iron Man. <laughs> but that it's, that'd be during Easter. That would be during Easter. Well, I mean, Christ wasn't born in December anyway. When What is the evidence for the date of Christ's birth? There isn't actually a lot of evidence for specific dates of Christ's birth. It's just that in that region of the world where the three wise men came from, it would have been too cold during December for them to just be out stargazing. Um, it's also because it was... What didn't it take over another similar uh, Yule? It took over the holiday. Right. I mean... It was conflated. Yeah. They... We know that it's probably the only reason that Christmas is celebrated in December is because they needed to figure out something to put over pagan holidays in Europe, and that's just what happened. It's like, yeah, Jesus was born now, so uh, you're going to celebrate that instead. But you still get to have the same holidays. You still get presents. Presents from Santa Claus. Who's Christian? How do you feel about DS Island? I like this theory. It's cute. The DS Island as a function of the Oneroverse is probably the only reasonable explanation for it to be in canon. But how did, I mean, this would require the Ocean King to see even beyond the Oneroverse and into the... He's a god. ...actual world where the games are being played. I think that there's at least one world connected to the Oneroverse where the Nintendo family of handheld systems physically exist. Animal yeah, Crossing? Yeah, it's in uh, the... Uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor games, where you get a, a DS that has a, a virus in it that summons demons. Is that what happens? Basically. Okay, well, I guess that could very well be what's going down there. It could also be... Mario has a DS sometimes. Animal Crossing? Yeah, Animal or Crossing too. Donkey Kong? Yeah, Donkey Kong does actually own multiple nintendo systems he has a 3ds that he plays in the 3d version of donkey kong country returns he plays uh a switch in the switch version of tropical freeze so yeah 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 the ocean king did it and our last question comes from tem tem also from saskatchewan here that's t-e-m in case my pronunciation of this is a little bit weird tem also from saskatchewan here thanks cameron for retweeting my smash comic on twitter and do you think wind waker link would be jealous breath of the wild link gets a more comfortable outfit yes yes <laughs> i wanted to talk about wind waker in general there were only four gorons in wind waker and it's strange that they have nothing to do with Volu, since dragon roost is supposed to be death mountain i've always liked the theory that the gorons were banished from the island in some past conflict perhaps over having to share their home with the rito if they can survive underwater, like in Twilight Princess, they may have just also migrated and eventually found themselves in the land that would be New Hyrule. 
The merchants in Wind Waker may travel between islands by rolling around underwater to deliver their goods, or they might not be welcome, which is why they trade through Link and hide their faces. This is a very timely email. This is a very dark backstory. Yeah. I like the idea that the Gorons have to hide their faces because of some great cultural sin of their people. Do you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's... as stories go, that's a fine idea. It's an okay explanation. I'm into what they call dark fantasy. Granted. I kind of I kind of like the explanation that we came up with here that they're like other peoples of Hyrule actually originally native of this new land. Were they here during this the Spirit War? Uh, I guess they would have had to be. Those are the people they talked about. Probably. I like the thought that the Gorons can just walk under the ocean over to wherever they want. Do you think at some point <laughs> I don't think it's possible though cuz then they'd run into Hyrule. We know that Terminian Gorons cannot go underwater. Yeah. And Breath of the Wild Gorons can sit like that, but then their talk is all watered out. Yeah. Very difficult to understand. No, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some sort of magical uh, curse on the oceans that prevents you from going too deep yeah. and walking on the floor. Do you think? Much like well, the- Otherwise, how would they pe- keep people out of the Hyrule? I mean, it's really deep. <laughs> How does Link use the grappling hook thing to grab treasure from the sea depths? Do you think he could hit Hyrule? Uh, he's hitting Hyrule every time he does it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, do you think he could hit the dry parts of Hyrule? Possibly. Where do you think the treasure comes from? <laughs> I just want him to go one day and then fish out, like, the the top weather vane crest of Hyrule Castle. What's up with those guys in the diving helmets? Do they go diving in this cursed sea? No, no. They just wear those diving They just helmets? stand there the whole time. Saluting. Yeah, and not going underwater because it's scary. It would be good if there was one perfect pixel where if you get the hook down under there, you fish out the Master Sword. Yeah. I was. I thought you were going to say the Ocarina of Time. Also that. <laughs> the giant statue of Ocarina of Time Link. Yeah, the perfect pixel. Do we think that Wind Waker Link would be jealous of Breath of the Wild Link getting to wear comfortable clothes? Yes, absolutely. Wind Waker Link hates his uniform. No, he doesn't like it, although he does keep wearing it. Well, I mean, Grandma gave it to him. He left his grandma behind. He did. She got very worried. I'm sure she got taken to the new Hyrule. New kingdom. That's not Hyrule. Yeah, to the new land. Yeah, I gotta imagine that Link would have gone back and gotten his entire family. Can't stop him. I wish Link would take off the field of greens when he's not in outset, and when he goes back to outset, he has to change and pretend that he's been wearing it the whole time. <laughs> no, I think, for his grandma. I yeah. think you only have to get dressed up in that for one day for the birthday. Yeah, but he has to. He's been wearing it long enough now that it's like he just wants grandma to think that he really likes it. Oh, okay. Or maybe the whole of Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass take place over a single day. That'd be pretty intense. Also, we know that's not true. There's at least one night in Wind Waker. Several. I think we've reached the end. Yay. Send us more questions. Send us more questions to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com or to me on Twitter at arcanecrystal. And you can find me on Twitter at camwriter. And just as a reminder, they don't have to be questions. They can be 
fan theories. They can be corrections. You know that we've been running this podcast for over a year, and we haven't actually gotten one lore correction yet that wasn't sent in by Monica. Send me corrections on Twitter. I think Tim has sent a couple. Well, he needs to step up his fucking game then. <laughs> it's him. I, th- I think... Oh, we needed to correct that there was actually an invisible boss fight thing in Phantom Hourglass. I messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What? You mean this thing where I was trying to rack my brains and you two told me that there wasn't such a thing and that surely I had just made it up? <sighs> it's actually a thing. Cameron was right. You see from the boss's perspective. Crake, the bane of courage in the Temple of Courage turns invisible, and you see from their perspective, the end. Ugh. And it's good. It's really good. And just as a reminder, our podcast art is done by Tor Kirby. You can find him at torkirby.com, and uh, you can give him money to make art for you. Did you like to hear a Zelda joke? Yes. Never. This comes in from the Game Fox. Is that how you pronounce it? Sure. That's how I've always pronounced it. Game Fox. The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword message board. I don't believe you about this. I don't think you've always pronounced it that way. I've pronounced it Game Fox. I sometimes will also pronounce it Game Facts, but not today. Okay. This comes in from user Dream Messenger. Post your best or worst original Zelda joke. Try not to use popular idioms and tropes, i.e., why did the cuckoo cross the road? Let's hear original jokes. That make use of the Zelda universe. Uh, Feel free to use characters from different games. Okay, here's one. <clears throat> Ganondorf is venting to Astalfos about Link. Ganondorf. I really hate how Link is always finding new items and increasing his abilities. I don't like his style, his weapons, his gear, or his face. Stalfos. And I don't like his magic either. Ganondorf. I hate you. <laughs> what? I think I lost the thread on that one somewhere. Crystal, is this like the previous joke in the previous episode? It's... It, when did, we felt bad. Was this posted... It's, it's hard to find was, Zelda Wait, Was this make... posted by GameFAQs user Connor? <laughs> no, it's from Dream Messenger. Do you want to read Dream Messenger's signature? Yes. I create, therefore I am. Nintendo, greater than Sony, greater than Microsoft, equals suck. Oh, game facts. And also now we legitimately know that's an eight-year-old. No. No, we don't. <sighs> wow. That that person could be 27. Okay. Can we just reiterate, was it Jasmine's joke? I'm dying a little inside. <laughs> yeah, it was Jasmine. Yes. Here's a joke from Jasmine. Why do they call it a uh, Sheikah Slate when they could call it a Triphone? Yeah. Uh my spirit's dead. Send us Zelda jokes. Send us Zelda jokes. <laughs> please. please, it's please send us. It's hard. Oh my god, <laughs> really I forgot this out. was an I option. Really... I think that both of you should tweet this request. Out. Save us. Save us. Oh. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.